You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. John chapter number 9, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. We're going to read through verse number 7. If you can just follow along as I read. John chapter number 9, starting in verse number 1, and we'll read through verse number 7. The Bible says... And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said it to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The book of John, the last of the four Gospels, is an amazing book of the Bible. And there is a clear purpose and a visible reason as to why the book was written. John writes this book differently than the three synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He attempts to drive home the point that Christ was the Son of God, became flesh for us, and was the prophesied Messiah. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each have different emphasis and a theme to their book, but John makes it so clear as to the intent of his writing. John even tells us of this purpose at the end of the book. In John 20, verse number 31, he says, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. In John, there is no account of the Lord's birth, no description of his baptism, no mention of his temptation, his transfiguration, or even his ascension. Instead, there are eight sign miracles that are recorded in order to convey Christ's deity and the fulfillment of prophecy. In Matthew, there are 20 miracles recorded. Mark has 18 miracles, Luke another 20 miracles, but John a mere eight. In Matthew, there are 16 parables recorded. Mark another five parables, Luke 20 parables, but John maybe one, if you can count one parable in John. The place where we are tonight in John 9 tells the miracle of Jesus healing the blind man by clay. This specific miracle of Christ is one of the five in the book of John that is not mentioned in any of the other Gospels. And we find ourselves in verse number one, and as Jesus passed by. And I'm so thankful he decided to pass by my way, and he decided to pass by your way, and offered you sight and gave you light. And I'm so glad that he saw me in the affliction that I was in and sin and what I needed. And I needed a savior, and I wasn't a drunkard, I wasn't a drug addict, I wasn't a murderer, I wasn't an adulterer. I was not one of those major sins, but I still needed Christ, just like you need Christ, just like the thief, or just like the murderer, just like the adulterer, or the alcoholic, or the drug addict. I still needed forgiveness of my sin. It didn't matter my background, my family tree, my financial status. I still needed Christ just the same. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man. Jesus had his eyes out for the people to help. Something about this man as he passed by arrested the attention 
of Jesus. And if we are to be more like Christ, we should also be able to see people in their need. You can see throughout all of the Gospels and accounts of Christ that Jesus had such great compassion for people. He saw more in people than anybody else ever saw. And it didn't matter their lineage or it didn't matter their appearance. He saw them in their need. He didn't look at their physical stature, but he looked at their eternal condition. To keep our eyes out for people all the time, there are still more people to reach, more people that need Christ. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. The physical condition, the congenital disease that afflicted this man parallels to the condition of sinners before salvation. The man was blind. Darkness was his life. Unable to see, unable to change his own condition. The blind man was outside of the temple. He, there was a separation from the presence of God. The man was blind from birth, so we too are birthed in sin. The blind man could be helped by no other person but by Jesus Christ. Amen. No human cure could be found. The, li- the Lord's eyes were all seeing, and he never missed a poor and needy soul. In verse number two, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was common that sickness and suffering were consequences of sin in the life of a person or a family, but it amazes me that the disciples thought that the disease that the man had from birth could be caused by his own sin in the womb. Maybe he sinned in the womb. It's silly theology there, but they still ask this question anyway. The disciples here, you can see the question as they judge this man. They're just judging. It would have been a hard life for this man because I guarantee you the disciples were not the first ones to judge. The disciples cared about the reason for the trouble. Christ cared about the cure for his trouble. The disciples judged the man. Christ justified the man. The disciples wanted to know how or why it happened, but Christ just wanted to help. They wanted to know the history and the reason for such a trouble that befell this man. Instead, what Christ did was caring for the man in his trouble. It would have been a hard life for this blind man. The nature of mankind is to criticize, to analyze, to summarize, to give our opinions. And this is just a little uh, side note here, but there are times where maybe we should keep our opinions to ourselves. And there are some times, and I know that maybe that's an unpopular opinion, okay, but sometimes we have to keep our opinions to ourselves. And you know, everybody has, if you're like me, I have an opinion about everything. I, li- I have an opinion about everything, and you know what? I'm right all the time, except when it contradicts my wife, obviously. And other than that, I'm right all the time. But you know, I've seen some people make dumb, 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 dumb decisions in life. And maybe, perhaps, you know, you could have, you saw it coming, and you knew that they were going to make this decision that they have, whether it be by family, or whether it be uh, even a sin, or whether it be a financial uh, uh, decision that they have. And you could see it coming, but you know what? Oftentimes, our unsought advice is unheeded. And then even then, it's, it's often resented. Our opinion that is unsolicited does not come across like even if you have the best intentions, unsought advice is often not the right time to give advice. You know, it's very similar to if, sir, if you are driving in a parking lot with your wife and you're in the car and you're looking for a parking spot in the parking lot, and then your wife finds the perfect spot in the parking lot. Brother Cooper, help me up. You're, you're up here to help me, sir. And so if, if they, she finds the perfect spot, and she says, hey, look, there's an open spot. Well, now I can't park there. Yeah. Now I can't. 
If, even though it's the widest spot, it's the best, it's the closest, it does not matter because she said that was the spot we had to park in. Now we can't park there. Now we got to park somewhere else. And you know, oftentimes our advice is often received like that. Or even though it might be the best decision, it's often not received as we would have intended it to receive. And there are times where we should probably just keep our mouth closed. You know, we have our growing family. Jennifer, our baby of the family, just was uh, is three and a half months now. Joel's about two and a half years. And Juliet's about to turn four. And we've been surrounding, we've been going to the dinner table more often. And we've been going through as we gather around the dinner table for a supper meal. We've been gathering around and really talking about our table manners. And that's what we've been going through. We've been going through our table manners. We started with just a few, but man, they are catching on. And I'll tell you what, they're like the Gestapo. They will look at, if you tell them a table manner and you don't abide by that table manner, for instance, for instance, the very first table manner was obviously to chew with your mouth closed. Yes, not open, Rob, closed. And so you're supposed to chew with your mouth closed. And you know, if, if, if I'm just absent-minded, you know, I'm at the dinner table, you know, it's just our family, you know, it's a private event. And I'm just absent-minded, you know, I'm not necessarily thinking about, you know, all of the proper table manners. And, you know, if I, if, if I so as chew just one or two times with my mouth, oh man, Juliet will catch me every time. And it, it's so true. The second table manner we've been talking about is to never talk with your mouth full. And that's another great, great table manner. I wish that more people would go, are you taking notes, Billy Cooper? Is that what you're doing? He's taking notes here. Never to, to talk with your mouth full. And that's another great, that's another great table manner there. And I'm telling you what, if I have not swallowed every little speck of my food and I decide to say something at the, oh, Juliet will catch me. She did, she did so tonight, did she not? She, she, she caught me even tonight as we ate and she said, you talk with your mouth full. And so she'll catch us every time. And that's okay at the dinner table. I need to be watched out for. And what's not necessarily okay is when we're at a restaurant in public and uh, the table next to us, maybe have not gone over the table manners like we have gone over table manners. And, and Juliet thinks it is okay to just go ahead and call them out in all of their inappropriateness. And she will do so. Oh, man, she'll catch family. She'll catch strangers. She'll catch everybody with these table manners. So you got to watch out. But, you know, she's also in this stage, Juliet, about three. She's about to turn four. And Juliet's also in the stage of why, 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 You know what I'm talking about? And so all of these questions are why. So we're explaining these table manners. And I say you're supposed to chew with your mouth closed. Why? I don't know. I never thought about it. <laughs> Why do we chew with our mouth closed? I don't know. And you know what? You know, there's, there's the point where, you know, you just say, because I said so. And that's enough. That should be enough. Parents should be able to say that. And that should be enough for parenting, you know, because another unpopular opinion, I believe that parents are the head of the house, okay, you know. And so they should be able to just make a rule. It doesn't have to make any sense to the, to the child. The parents should be able to just make a rule there. And they should obey. But, you know, she asked me, why do we chew with our mouth closed? And I, 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 I kind of said just off the cuff, I said, because nobody wants to see what's in your mouth. And that, that's, that's the truth. And sometimes, even with our own, maybe perhaps our, as we gather information from all these different sources, 99% of the information we get online or from all these different, you know it's not true, or it's not the whole truth. And we form all of these opinions, we form all of these facts, and this is exactly what happened. And, and you know what, most of the time, we should probably just keep our mouth closed. 
We should just keep on going with our life. I guarantee you that we'll eliminate a lot of the uh, troubles that we have and even troubles in relationships if we do this. But the disciples decided to open their mouth and, and criticize this man for maybe even sinning in the womb and for his blindness. But perhaps we should keep our mouth closed. But verse number three, it has there, Jesus answer. And I'm thankful that Jesus answers. No matter the question, no matter how dumb it may seem to him, I guarantee you sometimes we have some uh, some questions that don't necessarily uh, seem like a whole lot of sense to him. But no matter what it is, no matter how trivial it is, if it's big en- and it is big enough to take to God, God answers. And Jesus answers. And Jesus answered and said, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. And he directly answers the question that the disciples ask. But then he gets to the real reason here. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. This man's infirmities were planned in heaven with a specific divine purpose in mind. It was to reveal God's touch in a human life. No matter how dim the appearance may be in our limited perspective to our circumstance that we have in life, it is, we have to take the stand that God is too loving to be unkind. He's too wise to make mistakes. God's never said oops. God's never made an accident. He's never made a mistake. God knows exactly what you're going through. And there are no accidents with God. He allows nothing to happen without a reason. And he was always working out this for eternal, his eternal glory and the benefit for this man. That is not to say that mankind cannot disobey and bring destruction and the troubles upon their own life in contradiction to the divine will of God. But this man's blindness was ordained of God that this miracle might show forth the power that Jesus possessed to show the people that he was all that he claimed to be. That he was from God, the Son of God, the very God in flesh. There is no doubt that many people would have questioned the goodness of God faced with this fa- the fact that this man's congenital disability. And on the surface, this man seemed condemned to a life of blindness and beggary. Robbed of the pleasure to see the light of day or the sunset on the surrounding Jerusalem mountains. Job had a similar circumstance bestowed upon him for the glory of God. And when man considers sin and transgressions to be the cause of his misery, there was always a divine plan. This man's circumstance not only revealed a divine purpose, but also a divine appointment. There was a timing known to God only when Christ's earthly ministry would coincide with this blind man's affliction. There was a specific time period in which this man could be healed by Christ. It had been the plan of God when this child was born that he should be healed by the Savior and that it would be a sign of the deity of Christ. The healing of the blind was taught by the Jews and to be expected during the earthly ministry of the Messiah. Isaiah 29, 18 tells us, In that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The work of Jesus was planned out long beforehand by the Father. And then in verse number four, Jesus says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Here Christ comes to the ultimate challenge, explaining to the disciples the purpose for his presence on earth and his ministry. He gives the statement, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me. There was a specific plan of the work. For Christ was not just on earth to come and to make people feel good. 
He was not come here just in the words of Brother Shilton for the pleasant memories. There was a specific plan that God had for Christ when he was here on earth. And I'm thankful Christ completed that work. For if he had not completed that work, we would still be lost in sin. We'd have no hope. We'd have no joy. We'd have no church. We'd have no eternal destination in heaven. We would still be lost in sin if Christ had not come and completed his work. The state of sin that we were in was a state of separation from God. A distance that could only be spanned by the God's love toward us in that we had a relationship now with him through Jesus Christ. Forgiven of our sin and our heavenly home secured. Christ had a specific work to be accomplished while here on earth. A work that only he could fulfill. A work that was orchestrated by the Father. And a work that would have lasting consequences. Like Christ... We too have a purpose here on earth, a purpose that only we can do, a purpose that is orchestrated by God, and a work that will have lasting consequences. In verse 5, Christ goes on to say, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, saying that he was the only cure for the darkness of sin which blankets the entire earth and mankind. This miracle that we read tonight is the transformation of a man from darkness to light, from blindness to sight. From uncleanness to purity. From rags to royalty. From obscurity to familiarity. Like this man's disease from birth and subsequent healing of Christ ordained by God. God in his foreknowledge has a specific plan and purpose for you in your Christian life. And not talking necessarily about the specific uh, will of God that he has. We can get into that as salvation. God's gifted you with a spiritual gift. But there is a specific plan for us as Christians to be the light of the world in Christ's earthly and physical absence. Acts 13, 47 says, we are a light to the world. Romans 2, 19, a light to them which are in darkness. Ephesians 5, 8, we are a light in the Lord. Philippians 2, 15, we shine as lights in the world. And of course, we understand that the light we are supposed to be is just a reflection of the light of Christ that he is to the world and we are just acting on his behalf still we must shine that light in this dark dark world and it's so obvious to see the darkness that the world has fallen into the perverseness of people the wickedness of nations the carelessness and coldness towards our creator we've truly arrived as Romans 1 says that we worship the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And that's the life where we live in. Whereas people live in the darkness, they worship the darkness. They worship the creature more than the creator. And they've magnified their place on earth more than God. But how can we expect a world that sits in darkness to come out of that darkness without any shining of light? If we are not the light that leads them to Christ... They will remain in darkness. If we do not tell them of Christ, they remain in their sin. If we do not promote Christ, they be lost in eternity. If we do not magnify Christ, they will worship the darkness which they find themselves in. It's very, very rare that a person with no gospel witness or influence of any kind heeds the call of God to discover the path of salvation. Even the blind man from this miracle did not seek out Jesus. Nor did the man even ask to be healed once he confronted, was confronted by Jesus. It was Jesus who saw the man and desired to heal him. Jesus made the clay. Jesus anointed the man's eyes. 
And it's possible that the blind beggar of the temple hardly valued sight. For he had been blind from birth. And I can understand where a person who has sight would greatly miss the light of day if it were taken from him. But it's possible that this blind man would have been content in his condition because it's all he would have ever known. The blind man, though his occupation was begging, did not beg Christ for sight. It was Christ who went out of his way. Christ who saw the man. Christ who had compassion. And Christ was the one who did the work to give this man sight. All the man had to do was obey. If we are to be lights in the world, how can we expect the world blinded by sin to desire something that they know nothing about? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Is it just for us, the Christians of the world, to sit in this grand auditorium of the great North Valley Baptist Church and to wait for sinners to walk through the back door without any kind of gospel witness? If we're waiting for sinners to come here without us going out, we're going to be waiting a long time. Is it for us to just, even the people that we meet, is it for us to just wait around and hopefully maybe one day they'll ask about what we do on the weekends? What we do here at church? Is it for us to just trust the people of the world that one day they'll come around and they'll want what we have? They are not going to see Christ without a shining light. They're not going to come walking through the back door. They're not going to be there without someone seeing the condition, without someone having compassion, and without someone caring for them and directing them towards Christ. There is a specific work for Christians to do, and it is to go and to tell others about Christ. There's a specific work for Christians to do, and it's to go out soul winning. There's a specific work for Christians to do, and it's to run more bus routes. There's a specific work for Christians to do, and it's to attend church. There's a specific work for Christians to do, it's to be a light to this lost and dying and dark world where we live in. It's not time to put a dimmer on your spiritual light. Brother Andy Gong, such an incredible electrician, puts dimmers everywhere around here. But it's not time to put a dimmer on your spiritual light. It's time to shine brighter than ever before. It's time to shine in this dark world. If you even shine, you'll shine a lot. But it's time to shine as bright as you possibly can. It's time to do more, not less. Just last week, my wife and I were uh, celebrating our anniversary. And we're at a fancy restaurant in Capitola. And just us. And so we were having a good time there. And not a large dining room or anything like that. But it was a nice, nice place. And we were eating there, and we, the waitress had finally brought the bread and the butter. Mm, that's a good time right there. Ooh, that's, my, that's one of my favorite times, even probably more than the actual entree. Ooh, that bread, that hot, warm bread and the butter. Ooh, that's good. And so she had brought it out, and uh, we were praying. And so we reached across the table, and we held hands, and we prayed there uh, for just even just maybe 15, 20 seconds. And we prayed for the food, and we prayed for the safety of our children because they weren't with us. And so we prayed for them and so that God would keep them safe as well. And so we had finished praying and we were eating that bread. And about five minutes later or so, an elderly couple from across the room had finished their meal and had come across the dining room and stopped right at our table. And probably in their late 60s, I would guess, they said, it is so nice to see a young couple praying before the meal. 
thank you so much for doing that. And then they slipped us a $100 bill. Before we even had a chance to ask for their name, before we had a chance to even talk to them about church or anything, they had already left. They said, we just want to be a blessing to you. And they left a $100 bill on the table. So now our family resolution is to pray for at least 15, 20 minutes as we're out eating every time because somebody, please, just be a blessing like that couple was. And so that's our new family resolution there. That's our new table manner. But it's amazing that just a simple, just a simple public prayer is a shining light. Not only was there a specific work, but there was a required need of that work. See, Christ was under divine direction and compulsion to complete the work that he had been sent for. There was a necessity behind his actions. Do we place that same requirement in our own lives? To fulfill what God has for us on earth, is it a need for you? Is it a must? I must. I need. It is a requirement in my life. I am making it a requirement in my own life that I must work the works of him that sent me. Is it a need in our own life that we are a shining light to the world to tell others about the gospel and to tell others about Jesus Christ? Is it as a requirement? Have you made it a need in your life or is it still just an option. Maybe a possibility. I, I may work the works of him that sent me. It's a possibility that I'll work the works of him that sent me. No, it's not what Christ said. He says, I must. It was a requirement in Christ's life. And because of that requirement, he completed the action, the work that he was sent here to do. And I'm so glad that he did. Especially in Christ's life, the completion of the work was no easy task. As he endured the death of the cross to fulfill God's plan, God's plan may not always be the easy life. That's why it's called work. But perhaps in your own life right now, you're searching for fulfillment or you're searching for something that's going to complete your life. A very well-known psychologist was helping a group of young men try to find happiness in their life. They seemed so unhappy. They seemed depressed. And he, we, they discovered that there was a lack of fulfillment because they had no responsibility. See, fulfillment in the Christian life comes from acceptance and completion of a responsibility. That's why you see people in life and they're depressed and they're saddened and they, they have no direction. It's because they search for happiness, yet they relieve themselves of all responsibility. They relieve themselves of spiritual responsibility. They relieve themselves of familiar responsibility. They relieve themselves, I don't think I'll keep a job. I think maybe I'll just go and do my own thing if I feel like it. Maybe I'll show up to work. They relieve themselves of all responsibility and they seek for happiness. But happiness and joy can only be found in fulfillment of the responsibility. And so true even in our own life as Christians, Fulfillment from God's purpose can be, can be found in acceptance of that responsibility and fulfillment of that responsibility. Pastor has said, happiness is always stumbled upon the pathway of duty. True life in the life, true in the life of the Christian, they wonder why they feel like their life is void of fulfillment, yet they can continue to avoid their spiritual responsibility. 
Christ had made the work which only he could perform a necessity in his life. There was a specific work that Christ needed to accomplish. There was a requirement in his life. And there was also a definite time for the work. In verse 4, Jesus declares that he must work the works of him that sent him while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And there was a set time in which Christ could complete the required work given to him by God. And we understand that the literal meaning of the day was, and the night was referring to his physical form, being in the world during his earthly ministry. But there will come an end to that time that we have to share the gospel with others. There will be no more opportunities. There will be no more chances. There is coming to an end that time of which we have. Romans 13, 11 says, And that, knowing the time, that it is now high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And that was 2,000 years ago. How close are we to the rapture of the church? No man knows. But it must be soon. It's not time for less sowing in your life. It's time for more sowing. It's not time for less church. It's time for more church. It's not time for less yeah. bus routes. It's time for more bus routes. It's not time for less service. It's time for more service. It's not time for less study of the scripture. It's time for more study of the scripture. It's not time to dim your light. It's not time to hide your light. It's time to brighten your light. It's time to shine brighter than ever before. It's not time to shirk your spiritual responsibility. It's time to embrace it and complete your spiritual task that God has given you to complete. It's not time to uh, make, it's time to make uh, your spiritual requirement, a uh, responsibility, a requirement in your own life. It's not time to make it a possibility. Our time to fulfill God's work is coming to a close. There is a requirement of the work, a necessity even in our own life and we don't have much time left. In this passage there is specific work and we could go on and talk about the clay. We could talk about how odd that was that Christ used the clay as opposed to just speaking. And you know what? No matter the method, it's the man that does the healing. And that's the truth as well, that Christ is the one who can heal. And it doesn't make, always make sense to us, but in his divine and divine uh, omnipotence, he knows the way. But in this passage, Christ, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. There was a specific work that Christ needed to accomplish. He made that work a requirement in his life. And there was a definite time where he could no longer complete the work. True, even in our own life, God has a specific work for us Christians to complete. Have we made that work a requirement? Have we made it a necessity that I must it is now a requirement in my life that I complete the work that God has for me because there's going to come a time when there's going to be no more opportunities and no more chances. And it's time for us to complete the work of the works that Him that sent us while it is day. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.